Guys, it's a great Sunday. It really is. I could say that every week, but, but I'm really saying it now. Because there really is a, a sense of, of God doing something extraordinary. Yes, in our city, yes, in our community, but I, we really sense this being a very unique and special year in the life of this church. And consequently, I'm coming for it today. This has been, this has been brewing in my heart for some time. My, my three-year-old son at the table today, he prayed. I rarely see my kids before heading to church, but for some reason he was up at the crack of dawn, and he was praying. He prayed at the table. He prayed for me today. He said, God, I pray that Daddy isn't mean to anyone at church today. <laughs> Which really threw the whole message off. I mean, just really messed me up. I promise not to be mean today. <laughs> but I'm going to bring a little heat to the room. We're going to sharpen our focus as we head into this year. We have 50 weeks left in 2017. And God wants to do something great through you. And he also wants to do something great inside of you. And consequently, I'm not going to beat around the bush. We're starting a new series. It's called I Dare You. And the whole point of it is to provoke you into living a different kind of life for God. There's something about a dare, isn't there, that, that, that's provoking. Now, some of you, you hate it. You hate to be dared. And then there are some of you that, that like the dare, that, that you like the, the rise to the occasion type challenge that, that's been set forth in a dare. And, When's the last time you were dared to do something? <laughs> Yesterday. <laughs> Strong. <laughs> I dare you. You've heard the phrase, I double dare you. You've heard the phrase, I triple dog dare you. You can't get out of that. What you going to do? I was thinking about times I did a lot of dumb things. I'm not sharing those today. But I do remember... Homecoming, freshman year, high school. My buddy Tim, who's my best friend, dared me to ask this girl to the dance. This was a big deal. Now, if you knew me at the time, asking a girl out to a dance did not come naturally to me. So this was a big dare. I dare you to ask that girl. Her name was Katie. She worked at the ice cream parlor in my area of St. Louis. That's right. You know, the kind, the, the kind of ice cream place where you went, you parked, and you walked up, kind of like Brewster's, and you ordered, and there was a little drive through and everybody had their little ice cream hats on, and, they, you know, the, it was that kind of a place. And so we drove up rocking the minivan, you know, his mother's minivan with the nice wood paneling on the sides. Does anybody remember those, those minivans? Oh, styling. Okay, this was 19, I think, 94. Oh, yeah. And I went up. I got a napkin from the counter. I got a pen. I went back to the car, and I wrote, Will you go to homecoming dance with me? Question mark. That's right. Walked right up to the glass window. Bam. And I just held it there. 
everybody in there just stops, turns, and there's Katie just reading it, my face from behind it. She gives me one of these. And it was all she wrote. Took that napkin, folded it right up, walked back to the minivan, and drove off. No conversation. There were no words exchanged. Simply the dare to ask, wrote it on the napkin, slapped it on the glass, date to homecoming. Oh, yeah. That's how it's done. Take notes, my friends. Take notes. There's something about a dare that pulls some things out of you, isn't it? Now, unfortunately, most dares nowadays are just dumb. They're just getting people to do silly, oftentimes dangerous things. But, but there used to be a, a, a dare that would, that would evoke something from men and women. It was, a, it was a call to something deeper inside of you to reach down and live a little bit differently. We dared people to dream. We dared them to believe. We dared for them to live for something greater than themselves. We dared men and women to adventure, to have courage and strength, to be bold and to face whatever Odds were against them. One of my favorite quotes is from Theodore Roosevelt. He says it like this, Far better is it to dare mighty things, to win glorious triumphs, even though checkered by failure, than to rank with those poor spirits who neither enjoy nor suffer much because they live in a gray twilight that knows not victory nor defeat. You know what I'm asking you to do today? I'm asking you to accept a dare that I'm about to present before you. That you would take a step out from the gray twilight of neither victory nor defeat and take a risk and go further and deeper and more passionately in your relationship with God than you ever have before. I dare you to do it. I dare you to start this week. I dare you to put God to the test and see what he does in your life. Let's do this. Turn to Haggai chapter 1. That's not a book that you hear too many people preaching out of. That is a book in the Bible, in case you're wondering. Some people pronounce it Haggai. I'm going to keep it... I'm going to keep it straight and call it Haggai today because it's the only way, okay? This is a minor prophet in the Old Testament. I'm going to give you a little context before we begin to read from the scriptures today. And even before I explain this, let's pray today. This is a timely message for you and I. And it has implications for you the rest of the year. Father, we've been worshiping you this morning. We've been asking of you this morning. We've been singing to you. We've been setting up this school that we might have a celebration service and give you glory and honor. And we're asking you, sir, right now to open our eyes and ears and our minds to more of who you are. God, in a moment today, change us. Expand our hearts that we might feel you and know you and follow you more fully, God. 
In the Old Testament, there's a, there's a few chain of events. There's a few events in particular that much of the Old Testament is surrounded around. And if you don't know Old Testament history, I'm going to give you just a little, a little history update this morning. But, but Israel is to follow one God, God Almighty, the God of heaven and earth, the God that we're worshiping this morning, but oftentimes has what we like to call a consistency problem. Oh, they love God this minute, and then they seem to hate Him the next. They follow Him this minute, and then they follow something else this minute. They worship a God, the God uh, of the Bible here, and then they're bowing down and worshiping an idol here. They obey him here, then they disobey them here. It's, it's the good old-fashioned roller coaster of obedience. And to teach them lessons, oftentimes God would allow a foreign power to come into Israel and they would fight them and go to war with them and they would lose. And as they lose, the, the victorious power... Sometimes it was Persia, other times it was Babylon, other times it was other places. They would take people that were living in Israel and they would deport them. They would export them, so to speak. They would be called exiles. And they would find themselves living in a foreign land. And this uh, punishment, so to speak, for not following God was to teach them, was to bring pain and suffering that they might remember God again and cry out to Him and pray to Him and obey Him. In case you're having a difficult time with the context, imagine the city of Atlanta is going to war with another nearby city and we lose. And the punishment for the losers is that we would be picked up from our homes, picked up from our jobs, picked up from our families, and we would be moved to someplace else, oftentimes where you don't speak the same language, where you don't know anybody, where you don't have a house, where you don't have a job, where you don't have income, where you don't have anything. It was very disorienting. And then, fast, fast forward, we get to the book of Haggai. Because those who were exiled have now been given their freedom to return back home to the land which they have been enslaved away from. Does that make sense? And so you have the exiles returning. It's one of the most significant themes in all of the Old Testament is that those who were in slavery are given the freedom to return home. Here we find ourselves. What would you do? Think about it for a second. If you're returning home, think of Atlanta for a second. If the majority of us left, what would happen to our city? It'd be like a ghost town, wouldn't it? You see those old Wild West ghost towns that exist that no one lives in anymore, but they still have structures? It's very spooky, isn't it? Imagine the, the, the populace of Atlanta being so diminished that there's just empty homes and empty buildings. Things would fall into disrepair. Things would overgrow and there'd be vines and weeds and grass and trees and it would be a royal mess, wouldn't it? 
And so you'd return home and you'd begin to work and you'd begin to get things straight and you'd begin to build a house and you'd begin to do all these things. And then the other thing that you would be doing because you're a Jew is you would begin immediately to rebuild the temple. Because, even though it's a little different than our culture, it's vital to your worship and to your relationship with God that the temple would be intact and that the temple would be a place for everyone to come and worship God. This was tantamount to everything to a Jewish person. And this is the context we find ourselves in because the Jewish people have returned. They've been working. They've been setting up shop. They'd been doing their things, and they began work on the foundation of the temple. But as they began to work on that which was the most important thing, the temple, that they might have relationship with God, because at that time the presence of the Lord filled the temple. So the temple was really important. So they got the foundation laid, and then there were enemies who came to discourage them. They began to threaten them. They began to fill them with fear. They began to distract them. And the important job of rebuilding the temple that they might have true, unfettered relationship with God gets put on hold. You ever have things that are really important to your relationship with God that just don't seem to ever get done? They stopped the building of the temple. And they stopped, and they stopped, and they stopped, and they stopped for 15 whole years. Foundation bricks are set and laid, and that's it. And so God speaks to this man, Haggai, and he says, go wake my people up. They've got some work to do. And this is where we find ourselves. Haggai chapter 1, 2 through 6. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord says. Give careful thought to your ways. You've planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you're, you're never warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Track what's happening here because... This is 2017 to a T. There's nothing, although we could talk about immorality and the things that distract us morally away from following God, but so much of what happens with God's people are not necessarily issues of just plain black and white morality. They're issues that seem to feel and look pretty, pretty good. You see, here we have a group of people who've laid the bricks, they got distracted, and then they got busy doing what? Building their homes, getting their life put together. 
How many of you feel that drive all the time? You've got college funds. You've got your your house that you want to buy. You've got babysitting and you've got furniture that you want to buy and you've got the new job that you're believing for and you've got the relationship that you're praying and asking God for and you've got the this and the that and all of the things that we devote our time to and our energy to and our money to and many times when you really look at the big picture of it we are building our homes so to speak our situation our kingdom Haggai 1, 7 through 9, this is what God says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. I'll be honest with you, I I consider myself a busy person a lot. That's not a great thing to say. I wish that wasn't the case, but I do, I find myself pretty busy, pretty often. And even as I was preparing this message and praying through things and looking at the year, I had some course correction that had to happen in my own life. Because what God has called you to and what God has called me to, first and foremost, is to be a builder of his house long before I am a builder of my house. But when I look at my time and when I look at my energy and when I look at my money, oftentimes what could probably be said of me is that I care a lot more about my house than I do his. Now, if you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking this is a message about money, you're you're not hearing me. If you think this is a message about giving to your church, you're also not hearing me. This is far more about the house. This is about your relationship with God because so much gets in the way of your heart having true worship of the one true God of heaven and earth. How much competes for your time? How much competes for your energy? How much competes for your wallet, your bank, your checking account? Everything does. And so you have to, with great vigilance, Seek God first and put him before everything. Which is what God is reminding the people of Israel to do. Stop building your own thing for a minute. Go up into the hills. I want you to go cut some trees down. Bring that timber on back. Build this temple and make it right. Have true relationship with me again. Put me to the test and see if all of these other things don't work themselves out. See, what were the excuses that people had? Because oftentimes they're the same excuses that we have. I love this. The very first thing in Haggai chapter 1 that that God is saying that the people are saying to them is that it's not a good time. It's not a good time 
for this to happen. Have you ever heard that the people talk about they're going to get serious about their relationship with God at another time, at another juncture? Maybe when I get a little bit older, I'll get for real in my relationship with God. Anybody heard that before? Maybe you said that before. Maybe you're saying that today. I want you to know there is never a good time. I, it doesn't matter how early I get up in the morning. I'm, I, you've heard me say this a thousand times, and now I'm going to have vent to you. I will get up at the crack of dawn to spend time with God, and there will always be a pitter-patter of feet. That just It's like a chime that just goes off in their room when someone has opened the door to mom and dad's room and walked out. It could be four in the morning, and all of a sudden, you know, something just triggers them to be awake. There's never a good time. If you're a parent with young children and you're waiting for things to just calm down so that you can have a relationship with God, you will never have a relationship with God because things are never going to calm down. It will never be a good time. It never will. Are you tracking with me? There has to be a, 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 a passion in your heart to put God first regardless of the distractions, regardless of what's competing, regardless of the voices that are screaming to you to just close the Bible, stop praying. It's just not a good time. Get to this tomorrow. And I've said that literally probably Thousands of times. Oh, you know, one of the kids is crying. Or a text comes in. Or I see an email pop up. Well, I need to get to that. So you know what I'll do? I'm going to give my time and energy to this. And I'll get to that the next day. Only the next day presents its own set of distractions. And so then I say to myself, well, I'll get to, I'll get to God in that relationship tomorrow. Oh, man, I know that was two days, but I'll really get to it this, tomorrow. And then tomorrow comes, and surprise, there are more distractions again. Can you fathom it? And yet it's true. Every day has its distractions. Every day has its voice that says, now is not a good time. And so my, my good news for you is this, and it is actually good news, because it will liberate you from trying to find this perfect moment. There will never be a perfect moment. You will never have a good time. That didn't sound right. You will never have a perfect time to spend time with God. The other thing that gets in the way, that becomes an excuse for us, doesn't it? I couldn't think of a better way to say it except to just say good things. Which sounds confusing because you would think that good things would simply be good things. But how often do the blessings begin to distract us from the blesser? And you become, your eyes, rather than focus on him, become, they, they begin to get focused on what it's, what's in his hand. 
And so your attention becomes distracted. And so listen to what all these people were doing that God is asking them to stop doing. They're planting. They're planting seeds and crops. And you know what we see throughout Scripture? We see God calling people to work hard. We see God calling them to to invest and sow seed into the ground and become good and cultivate and become responsible for their home and provide for their house, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so that's what these people are beginning to do. They're sowing seed into the ground and they're beginning to try to harvest. And God says, no, stop that for a minute. What else are they doing? They're, they're, they're eating together. They're drinking together. They're being married together. And God is, is saying, stop, pause. You notice he doesn't condemn them. There's never an issue of wickedness here in this chapter, of them giving their life to something that is an idol or that's wicked or immoral. They're simply giving their life to that which is not supreme. And that's God. Something had edged out the seat of number one. And so all of these things, let me just say it for you so that you've got it clear. There's planting, there's eating, there's drinking, there's clothes that they're they're, they're putting on, there's wages that they're earning. And I want you to hear this. All of these things in their own right are really good things. I want you to hear that. When your life gets better, that's a good thing. Isn't it? Man, moving into a house and begin to, to make it pretty, and you're, 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 like, like uh, the men and women here, they're, they're making their homes more attractive. They're putting paneled walls up. And if you don't know what that means, it's, it's artwork that's, that's being uh, displayed in their home and mosaics and these beautiful displays in their own houses are getting better and more attractive. And that is a great thing. Their, their, their gardens are beginning to produce, and that is a great thing. They're eating together. They're drinking together. They have clothes, and it's keeping them warm, and these are all really good things, except they're never the number one thing, and that's what had happened. And so God says, you, you, you've tried to draw life From these things and look, consider your thoughts. You're never harvesting what you think you should. Your clothes are not keeping you as warm as you think they should. You're drinking, but you're still finding yourself thirsty. You're eating, but you're still finding yourself hungry. Your purse, it's like it has a hole in it. And the money that you've earned and worked so hard for, it's just not going as far for you. In other words, the life that you thought you were going to draw from that isn't giving you life because you're looking to the wrong thing to give you life. Only God can do that. So head to the hills, get some wood, and build my house that you might have true abiding relationship with me. It's amazing because Jesus said something very similar in Matthew when he said, seek first the kingdom. And 
all of these things will be added unto you. What was the context? People were worried about food. People were worried about clothes. People were worried about how they were going to provide for themselves. They were worried about all the same things that people are spending all their time and energy and money on here in the book of Haggai. And Jesus calls it to a point and says, guys, seek first my kingdom. Don't worry about these things. Seek me first. Seek my kingdom first. And everything else will fall into its proper place. Amen Amen is right. So what are the things, the good things? Let me say this big idea for you. The greatest threat to your relationship with God often shows up looking like a good thing. I love the fact that Amy and I get to spend time with each other. I love the fact that a new Netflix show will pop up, and it's a show that we'll both be interested in. And that's a good thing for a husband and wife to have some shared interests, to be able to laugh about things and have things that they're talking about. Those are good things to have fun together, to eat and drink and be merry, all good But that good thing, if we're not careful, becomes the thing where I have to keep watching. And I have to keep watching an episode until Amy and I are staying up to the the far reaches of night and our eyes are bloodshot the next morning because we binge watched Netflix and then we're tired and the alarm goes off, snooze. And what do I choose to forfeit? My time with God. Reading the Bible? Ah, I'm so tired today. I'm going to get to that tomorrow. I'll get to it later in the day. I know I will. False. You never will. You don't. And so this thing that started out good has now become a threat to the very relationship that I am to protect and put first above everything else. It doesn't have to be a Netflix show. It can be anything that begins to compete with your love and obedience to God. It doesn't have to just be reading the Bible. It doesn't have to just be prayer. Think of all the things. Think of the relationship that's just got your heart a pitter-pattering. And you're praying that God would just make it clear. Lord, make it clear if this person likes me. If we should go out on it, if I should write something on a napkin and, and put it up on the ice cream shop and ask this person out to the dance, God, make it clear. And you know what? I'm even going to do the, the right thing and I'm going to get my, my pastors involved and I'm going to get them thinking and praying and et cetera, et cetera. And time and time and time again, people will pray about a relationship and the relationship blossoms to fruition and then they disappear. They got the relationship, and they were gone. Or you're praying for that house. It's a good thing, by the way, to, have a, to be in a relationship with somebody that likes you or that loves you. There's no condemnation of that. It's a good thing to be praying that God would expand your boundaries. Maybe you've got a family and you're, you need to build a house, or you're, you're praying about, about buying a house. And you've got the ability to buy one that's a little bit bigger. 
that's in a little bit bigger strip of land. But it's a little bit further out. And so you're praying and you're praying and you're going to go for it. And it's a good thing. But that good thing, now all of a sudden you find yourself getting further and further disengaged, further and further disconnected. And now you find yourself further and further removed from growing as a part of God's family. Happens all the time. And then there's the issue of how we spend our money. And I have to bring this up because as Americans, how we invest this aspect of our life tells us a great deal about what we truly value. Because it's easy to come to church and clap our hands and sing our songs. But then when we hold on to everything that God has given us, we cannot say, that we are truly passionate about God and his kingdom. It is not true. And that should hurt us. Because God is saying, go, get the wood from the hills and build my house. Super Bowls around the corner, the highest volume of TVs to be sold in the history of the United States is supposed to be this year. Maybe it's a TV or a car or a house. Forget what it is. All those things are great things in their own right, but they become distractions when you're buying and investing of them and now you can no longer give to what God is asking you to put first. Put on your shoes. Head up to the hills get some wood, build my house, put me first, put my kingdom first, obey me, listen to my will for your life. If anything is finding its way in competition with what is true and right and godly, understand it is nothing more than a distraction from you having full relationship with God Almighty. And this is what God says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations and what is desired by all nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. God tells his people to go, get ready to work. Sometimes in, in our culture, that we, we, we shun legalism, and I get it. You can't work your way into relationship with God or salvation. But, but understand, just because you can't work to be saved doesn't mean you can't work on your relationship with God. And sometimes you've got to put some, some elbow grease in. You've got to work on some things. And God is saying, and I believe he is saying to us in 2017, that he's going to begin shaking some things up. 
that he's going to begin to shake some things out that you might actually experience the very thing that you truly desire. And here's what I'm daring you to do today. Rather than waiting for things to become so bad that God has to step in and shake it all out, what if you began to shake your own life out before him? And begin to shake up how you live. You begin to shake up how you think and how you act and how you treat one another. And you begin to put him first in every single thing that you do. Oh, it was, it was common back in the day, back in 1994. WWJD, remember those bracelets? What would Jesus do? Oh, yeah. And it got cheesy and hoaxy and salesy, and I get it. But there for a time, it was actually amazing. Because all of a sudden, you were presented with a question that you were able to ask yourself in everything that you were doing. What would Jesus do? do? How would he live his life? What would he do in this situation? And that, that cutting question presented a decision for you to go this way or this way. And there was no gray area for you. What would Jesus do? Well, he'd do that. But I'm going to do this anyway. And I'll let you know how you were valuing your relationship with Jesus. And as we begin here in 2017, as I'm inviting you and I am daring you today to shake things up, to shake your life up, I'm asking for you to evaluate what you truly value by asking yourself repeatedly, God, how can I put you first today? When you get out of bed in the morning, I want you to emblazon this in your mind. If you've got to put it on the the mirror of your bathroom, God, how can I put you first today? As I'm taking my debit card out of my wallet and I'm beginning to swipe it, God, how can I put you first today in how I spend my money? As you begin to gather around the table and you're eating dinner or eating lunch or breakfast, God, how can I put you first at breakfast today? How can I put you first at lunch? How can I put you first at work today? While I'm driving today, while I'm walking today and exercising today, God, how can I put you first? Because your relationship, the relationship I have with you is the most important everything else will fall into its right place but God how how can I put you first today I dare you to live that way oh it will be with challenge it will be with fleshly confrontation It will be with voices telling you to stop, to quit, to not live like that way. That's too extreme. Oh, that's what a radical person would do. No, it isn't. It's what somebody who simply cares about putting God first in everything. It's how they live their life. It's how we 
are called to live our lives. And I dare you to live that way today. Two words. Jesus first. When I drive, when I walk, when I talk to my husband, when I talk to my kids, when I put them to bed at night, when I go to work, when I'm about to stress, when I'm about to worry, when I'm about to have anxiety, when I'm about to be afraid, Jesus first. Jesus first. Jesus first.